is. As our custom, I will read the question and we will all together read the response. Question 12. Since no one can keep the law, what is its purpose? That we may know the holy nature and will of God and the sinful nature and disobedience of our hearts and thus our need of a Savior. The law also teaches and exhorts us to live a life worthy of our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful, Lord, that you provided the Savior that we so very much need. And God, we pray that we would live our lives uh, reflecting the fact that we have been bought with a price, the blood of your Son, Jesus. And as we celebrated his death, burial, and resurrection just a week ago, um, Father, I pray that uh, as we observe uh, the newness of life this time of year brings, with uh, the goods and the bads, uh, beautiful flowers and fresh green leaves, and along with that, uh, that uh, wonderful yellow stuff that floats around in the air and, and causes us to have itchy, watery eyes and sneezing and coughing, Lord, but it's just all part of your beautiful creation that you have designed uh, to perpetuate uh, and, and uh, to perpetuate life. But Lord, help us to understand that uh, there will be a new heaven and a new earth one day. And uh, Lord, our minds can't currently uh, fathom how wonderful that will be. But Father, you know uh, you are working toward that and we are part of that plan. And I pray that we would live that, uh, live that out each and every day uh, in faith and trust in you, uh, knowing that uh, your plans and your purposes for us are perfect and that we would submit to that, Lord. Uh, God, we just pray for uh, our college students and families that will be transitioning uh, or have already begun uh, just to change. Of, with the change of season, Lord, sometimes that brings change of life, whether that be job, uh, new jobs, um, very first jobs, or just a change of location, Father. Um, we just pray for your blessing and mercies on travel and I'll be with Kevin this week as he's going to a, a conference. Uh, just pray for safety for him and, and his family. And uh, Lord, we pray for Daniel this morning as he comes up and teaches from your word. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears and hearts and let your spirit teach us, Lord, uh, concerning all things. Uh, God, thank you for loving us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading today will be from Mark Chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. This is the word of God. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. The grass withers, the flowers fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right. Good morning, church. Um, what a joy it is today to open 
God's Word back to Mark and to look at this sweet passage this morning. Now, in God's providence, I agreed to teach this passage in Mark last week without realizing that Amanda and I would be attending a conference this last Friday uh, about caring for children impacted by trauma. The reason for conferences like Hope for the Journey is that many people do not share Jesus' love for children. In Jesus' day, even children often were viewed as a liability until they could contribute to society. Uh, Some people even today treat children as little more than a commodity or a nuisance. Throughout history, the value of children has often been ignored. Biblical uh, Biblical examples of dishonoring children as image bearers of God include Herod's killing of infants uh, in the time of Jesus, Pharaoh during Exodus, and the vile sacrificing of children to the Canaanite god Molech in the Old Testament. Now, in general, children were not held in high esteem in the Roman Empire as well. By Jesus' time, most Roman communities had a trash heap where people could leave unwanted children If other people wanted the children, they could pick them up. A second century letter records that one of the bizarre characteristics of Christians in the Roman Empire was that they didn't abandon unwanted babies, and they would even wander the streets in search of abandoned children. Now, in many ways, the world is still failing to properly value children. UNICEF's last report on global child mortality says that about 6 million children a year are dying before age 5. Now, for perspective, the total population of Mississippi, that's about 3 million. That's about two Mississippis worth of children under 5 dying each year. Most of these deaths are from diarrhea, measles, tetanus, whooping cough, and pneumonia. Most of these could be saved simply with access to clean water, $5 injections, and 50-cent antibiotics. America devalues children in other ways. 20% of children in America right now live below the poverty level. One out of every four girls under 18 has probably been sexually abused by someone close to her. And more than 500,000 children in the U.S. are living in foster care due to abuse, violence, and neglect. Church, these statistics hurt. They're, They're painful. But then we consider the 50 million abortions happening globally. The 11 million children living right now who have been victims of human trafficking. The hundreds of thousands of girls subjected to prostitution in Southeast Asia. And the quarter million children living as child soldiers, these are not problems that can be ignored by the church. Martin Luther said this, If I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God except precisely that point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I'm not confessing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proven. And to be steady on that battlefront, to any battlefronts besides, is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. 
there is a battle raging over the proper ways that we value and care for children. May we not flinch from the painful numbers and the great needs facing a generation of children. But for us today, we need to find a balance in our perspective, a balance between caring for the undervalued and overvaluing our children to the point where they become little gods at the center of our universe. Our only hope to have a balanced view of children is to have a biblical view of children, to see them as God sees them. Jesus loves these precious children. Here in Mark 10, he loves children for who they are and for what they teach. So in light of that truth, this morning, I want us to see children for their intrinsic value, their kingdom value, and the kingdom lesson that they teach. Their intrinsic value, their kingdom value, and the kingdom lesson that they teach. Look here with me at Mark 10, verse 13. The text says, they were bringing children to Jesus. Now, they might mean mom, dad, grandparents, a relative. They wanted their little ones to meet Jesus and to be touched by him. Typically, people only sought this type of blessing from a highly revered rabbi. So Jesus' popularity is growing. And this exposes the pride of the disciples who feel like they need to restrict access to Jesus. They thought that the children were a waste of time, and so they were scolding everyone away. Their attitude and actions are actually a repeat of their growing elitist behavior shown towards this uh, exorcist in chapter 9, verse 38. This is someone who had the audacity to be casting out demons in the name of Jesus. They're like, we don't know this guy. Who's this guy, Jesus? They have this sense that there's this growing popularity of Jesus, and for them, it's this growing sense of, oh yeah, you know, we are Jesus's people. When Jesus saw the disciples fussing at the folks for bringing children to him, he went off on them. This is the only time in Scripture that Jesus is said to be indignant. Now, this is a word of of deep emotion. He felt affronted. He was aggrieved by their actions. His righteous anger was roused against his disciples because these children had intrinsic value. They were worth his time and they should have been worth the time of the disciples. Now, small children are not what we would call contributing members of society. They don't produce, they don't give, they're helpless, they're dependent. They're a bunch of needs to be met. And yet God makes it clear that they have intrinsic value in his sovereign designs. The Bible says that children are a blessing and a reward. I love Psalm 127. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. If you're like me, you may need to remind yourselves as you discover marker on the wall from your two-year-old, children are a blessing. Or you're tripping over muddy boots, this is a reward, right? And to those who feel like they've got too many blessings or their quiver is already full, it might help you to know that we don't know what kind of quiver Solomon has in mind here. Based on our best historical evidence, it's either an Assyrian-style quiver, which can hold 12 to 14 kids, or an Egyptian-style quiver, which is only 8 to 10 kids. So choose your own adventure there, I guess. Kids are a blessing, but they're so needy. 
But God does not hold a child's dependence against them. God cares deeply for the dependent. Much of the Old Testament laws give provisions to care for orphans and widows and foreigners. And when God sends Israel and Judah into exile, one of the chief reasons was their disregard for the dependent members of society. This is the reason uh, the prophet Micah's message, uh, where he says, mankind, everyone, he's told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you. Act justly, love faithfulness, walk humbly with God. And when the Holy Spirit comes in Acts, the care of dependence quickly becomes a primary goal of the church. Jesus changes everything even how we value people. From this perspective, James would later write that pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. See, God demands that we see people this way because this is how he saw us, helpless and dependent. God sends a message to his people in Ezekiel chapter 16, reminding them of what he has done for them. He says this, As for your birth, your umbilical cord wasn't cut on the day you were born. You weren't washed clean with water. You were not rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloth. No one cared enough about you to do even one of these things out of compassion for you. You were thrown out into the open field because you were despised on the day you were born. But I passed by you, I saw you thrashing around, and I said to you, live. Yes, I said to you, as you lay in your blood, live. The rest of Ezekiel tells this story, this poetic story of of God rescuing Israel, raising Israel, and the story of Israel running away from God again and again, but God still holding strong to the promise that he made to Israel at the beginning. This is us. Without the love of God, that's us, helpless and dependent. Paul says we were dead in our trespasses and sin. What can that little baby do? Nothing. What can we do? What can a dead person do? Nothing. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. Oh, church, may we see the value that God gives, the helpless and the dependent. Jesus wants us to see the intrinsic God-imaging value of children, and he wants us to see the kingdom value of children as well. Because hear me say this, it is not enough for us to simply meet the physical needs, physical, emotional needs of children. We can value them, we can feed them, we can clothe them, protect them, but that does not meet their real need. We must lovingly lead them to Christ and show them their value in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus wants the little children to be brought to him because to such belongs the kingdom of God. So two quick questions around how uh, we're uh, showing children their kingdom value. How do we show children their kingdom value at home? While I don't think this text demands a complete survey of a Christian home, here are a few reminders for us. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. 
Titus 2, 3 through 4. Older women are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. We train, instruct, love our children, but matters of faith are caught more than taught. Paul writes to Timothy saying, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am convinced, is in you also. So for children, we show them that that living love, that living faith for God and his word. It goes on to impact the next generation. In the home, we have to show them their kingdom value so that they're able to show their their children kingdom value. How do we show uh, children their kingdom value at church? Uh, As crazy as it sounds, I've actually enjoyed having my kids in church with me during COVID. Um, It's it's been pretty crazy. You've probably had a cup thrown at you by one of my kids, but uh, I like to hear them sing. I like to hear them ask questions uh, and watch all of you. I like to have them watch all of you worship God and study the word. And Doing family house church in China, it really warmed me up to having kids especially as a part of the prayer time and the worship time. And I think it's an incredible loss to the church when children are completely removed from regular worship. I'm not at all knocking children's ministry. I'm not knocking what we do here. I love it. Fully support it. But, but hear me out on this. If we believe that the same Spirit of God indwells every believer equally, bringing spiritual gifts in unique ways, Whether they're 9 or 90, they have a role to play in the body of Christ. You should value the prayers of your kids. They're filled with hope and faith, even on the days when you feel empty and defeated. They're also little missionaries in strategic mission fields, fully capable of communicating the gospel message in a way that I might not be able to communicate to a 10-year-old or an 11-year-old. Children have great kingdom value in the church. Jesus also wants us to know that children have a kingdom lesson to teach us. This is the major part of this, uh, this whole passage. Verse 15, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. There's something about a child that is essential for entrance into the kingdom of God. It's not their innocence, because they're not. They're little sinners, just like we're big sinners. Uh, Nor is it their purity or just their sweetness. They're the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, just like us. Still, for some reason, Jesus says children are a better example of how to enter the kingdom of God than adults are. How do we come to the kingdom of God then, as children? Three ways. Three ways we come to the kingdom of God as children. We come Helpless and hopeful. Helpless and hopeful. We see them coming to Jesus with the help of others, no doubt having some degree of hope and expectation. One thing about little kids, they are not jaded and pessimistic. They are full of hope. They have great expectations for each and every day. I remember the first time as a kid, I was told we were going to the mountains for a vacation. And at the time, one of my favorite books was called My Side of the Mountain. It was about a boy who survived out in the wild with his pet hawk. 
So I started picturing snow-capped peaks and the adventures that I was about to have climbing mountains. And then we get to our condo in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Expectations crushed, right? But that's how children live with high hopes, high expectations, daydreaming about everything. The kingdom of God is not like my crushed hopes. Eternity with God, you can throw every hope and expectation you can at it, and it's better than you can imagine. Live with that hope and expectation wide open. Number two, we come for affection and blessing. Jesus picked up the children. What a picture. He's tender and affectionate to those who bring nothing to him, but their need to, be, to touch him, to be touched by him. But instead of just a simple touch that they ask for, did you notice this? He laid his hands on them and he blessed them. The verb blessed, it has intensive force. He fervently blessed them. But it also has imperfect tense. He kept on blessing them. One commentator said Jesus took each child in his arms, one by one, and blessed it. The process would last a while, but Jesus would not soon weary of such work. And here's something I've been thinking about uh, since the conference on Friday with regards to this affection and blessing. One of the biggest struggles when caring for children who've undergone relational trauma is building trust and forming attachment. Children who have not received healthy affection often don't know how to receive it. It may look like a six-month-old that we had who would wake up crying inconsolably for hours each night. Even though you'd hold her, rock her, soothe her, try to feed her, nothing. She, she, she couldn't respond to those positive touches. Or it may look like uh, our 13-year-old, uh, Winbo, that we took care of in China. When he came to us, he was very, very sick. He was frail, and uh, he had an issue with his feet that necessitated a, a wheelchair. Forming attachments with Wimbo was very slow. Uh, it started out with uh, carrying, carrying him to his wheelchair or helping him with a bath. For a while at our house and in, even in the hospital while he was there, uh, he was just kind of there, you know, not a lot of interaction. Slowly, though, you're watching movies together, just playing Legos with one another, sitting on the couch, looking at an iPad together, rubbing lotion on his legs, figuring out what he liked to eat. He began to make eye contact more. He, he began to smile more. He began to talk more. And this is what it means for kids, the secure attachment that they need. They need to feel protected. They need to feel precious. They need to feel heard. Maybe in your mind, though, you can't picture Jesus even caring for you this way, right? You can't understand why he would want to embrace you, the broken mess that you are. You don't know how to receive that unmerited affection from Jesus because you haven't received this kind of love, so you don't know how to receive it. Christians, if that's not you, then there are people all around you who feel this way when they hear about Jesus. We need to be the eyes of Christ that look on people with value. We need to be the mouth of Christ that speaks truth and builds trust. We need to be the arms of Christ that offer comfort. 
Because many people come seeking Christ's affection. I, I pray that many people will come seeking Christ's affection and love because they first saw it in us. Right? Our actions taught them how to receive the love that Christ offers. So we come looking for affection. We come looking for blessing. But number three, we come trusting and dependent. And honestly, this is the central idea for the whole passage. Jesus says the kingdom of God, it's received and not earned. Did you notice that in verse 15? It's received like a little child, or it's not received at all. By their display of trust and absolute dependence on another, children point the way. Almost every morning with Emily, she's about to be three, she wakes up, she comes downstairs, she's got two blankets, three toys in her hands, but you say, hey, here's your juice, Emmy. Boom, everything hits the floor. Give me that juice. And then I have to trip over the toys in the kitchen. The kingdom of God is not something that can be received if your hands are full. And it's not something that you can earn. Why do I say those two things? It can't be received if your hands are full. It can't be something that you earn. Why do I say those two things? Look at verse 17. We've got this little word, and, right? There's a Greek conjunction here that connects these two stories. And in both Matthew and Luke, these stories are recorded together. Do you want to know how to receive the kingdom of God like a child? Well, it's not like this, is what this story is telling us. Verse 17, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him and loving him, remember that connection that he's just forming with children, he, he, he said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. See, he'd been trying, he'd been working, he'd been trying to earn it. He wanted it to be within his control and he didn't have dependence, he had independence. But look at verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. And notice this. But Jesus said to them, what does he say? He's looking at his disciples. He says, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were exceedingly astonished because in their mind, this guy, I mean, this was a guy you would want in your church. He's, he's rich. He's got, some, uh, he's got some clout. He obviously has good morals. Like, this is a guy you want in your life. And yet Jesus is saying, that's not it. He's completely missing it. For the disciples, they're like, well, what, what's the way? How, what do we need to do? How can we be saved, they say. Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. That rich young man, he couldn't believe that his independent works weren't enough. He needed to learn the dependence 
from the children. He didn't trust that following Jesus was worth more than his possessions. He wasn't trusting. He wasn't coming with his hands empty. The story of the rich young ruler is less about what to do with our possessions and much more to do with having a heart that trusts and depends on Jesus for everything. Which, by the way, it's a miracle, right? With, but with man, it's impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. This is a work of God in our hearts to create that dependence and that trust. Well, I hope I didn't steal uh, Kevin's sermon for next week. I don't know what he's preaching next, but there you go. Let me close with this. 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2. See yourself in this church. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. So may we follow Jesus in highly valuing children. May we see their value in the family. May we see their value in the church. May we call all people to follow Jesus with childlike trust, dependence, and hope until he appears and we see him face to face. Pray with me. Father, you have a great lesson to teach us about how we feel like we need to approach you, what we need to do to be worthy of approaching you, whether in eternity or just daily in prayer. Father, I pray that we come to you dependent, trusting, hopeful, knowing that we can't bring anything to deserve your time, but you want us. You value us. The same way you, you value these children, you, you, you value us. Father, help us to see that there's nothing that, that we can do to merit your faith. Help us to not teach that message as well. Please help us to learn how to teach the message of the children and not the message of the rich young ruler. Help us to see that we, we come to you with open arms, hopeful, expecting, just longing for uh, your affection, uh, your touch, blessing. And we look forward, God, with hope as we long to see your face one day for all eternity. So may these words shape us and draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name.